0: Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. If fancy cars and baseball cards don't get you hyped, this female-founded platform is making investments a whole lot shinier. In this episode, I sit down with Donna Oslander. She's an ex-Blackstone veteran who recently launched Luxus, the first and only alternative investment platform for hard luxury assets. In this episode, Donna and I discuss diamonds as an investment and how the asset class brings more women into investing. We spill the tea on what fundraising is like for female founders and talk through some of those discrepancies, like some real talk around why women raising money from other women is actually challenging. Donna and I also talk about her experiences working with designers and investors like Veronica Beard, and there could be a future collab with Queen Jennifer Lopez, but you'll hear more about that in this season three, episode one of Humans of Fintech. I hope you enjoy. Donna, thank you so much for joining live in our studio in Williamsburg. It is very exciting to do these in person, so much better than over video. Um, so thank you so much for making it out here. Thanks for having me. All the way from the Upper the upper East Side. side. <laughs> a trek, a trek it was. Well, thank you for coming to Williamsburg. So you are a multifaceted queen and we love it. Starting with kind of law school time, right? You, were, you went to law school and then you had a full career in the hedge fund industry with since at like Blackstone. And then you even had a moment at Women's World Banking, which love. So just a lot of different places that have led you to the world of like fintech meets fashion and alternative investing. So please connect the dots for me how this all of these things lead you to saying, hey, I should start a luxury alternative investing So when I graduated
1: from law school, well, actually, when I graduated from college, I really wanted to be an agent and go to Hollywood. And I got a job at the William Morris mailroom and, <laughs> <laughs> in New York. And my parents were like, we're not paying for you to both work in the mailroom and your apartment and all your needs. Mm. You have to go get some kind of a professional degree. So I was like, fine, I'll go to law school. My friends from UVM were at Cardozo. I was like, it's going to let me live in New York. So I was like, I'll just go to law school. No interest in being a lawyer whatsoever prior to that. Um, I went to law school and then, you know, Cardozo was an okay school at the time, like it wasn't great. So the only job I could really get was at a law firm called Schulte Roth & Zabel. Schulte at the time was like a medium-sized firm that had just started making a niche in the hedge fund world. This is 1998. There was no one really doing this at scale. So I got there and I was fresh out of law school. Paul Roth sort of adopted me. And he had me on the launches of Lone Pine, a Viking, Citadel, just working with him. So it was really great to be there from like the very, very beginning. I then ended up going to Blackstone because it was always the dream of all lawyers right. to be in-house. <laughs> and um, I ended up in Blackstone Alternative Asset Management, which is now called the Hedge Fund Solutions Group. Mm. And at the time, it was mostly Pete and Steve's money. It was internal money. Um, it was the fund of funds area. Mm-hmm. And it was really at the infancy of hedge fund investing. Like, there were no institutional investors in hedge funds, then it was taboo. It reminds me a lot of alternative assets now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the new frontier. It was the wild west for sure. <laughs> and so I had basically I, I supervised the legal people, legal group. I <laughs> um, I did all the product development for all the funds. I did all of the structuring. I did basically marketing, IR. All of that. And I really was at the forefront. It was BAM became the largest fund of funds in the world. Mm. We grew it from $1.5 billion, which was internal partner money at Blackstone, to $35 billion by the time I left. We were launching like a product a month. So I was really used to the whole alternative asset structuring from mm. early, early on in my 20s. When I was at Blackstone, I also worked on like big firm-wide initiatives like the GSO acquisition the IPO and the launch of all the internal hedge funds that they had, which, you know, none of which really lasted through a wait. In a wait, I left Mm. and joined Phil Falcone in a very dumb move on my part. Um, (laughs) And I left there, you know, it was so stupid. Um, I think at the time it was a good idea because he and John Paulson were the two subprime people. Um, uh, he was a $26 billion fund. I left to become the head of all of marketing, IR, product development, you name it. Stayed through 08. It was a nightmare. And then I left in 2010 early, had a two-year non-compete, and that's when I discovered microfinance. Mm-hmm. Um, worked with Grameen Foundation also and Women's World Banking and wow. went around the world and helped women get loans. Um, I was always partial to the credit strategies. I always liked them the most, made the most sense to me. Mm -hmm. So it was really sort of fun for me to do. I also traveled everywhere for like long periods of time. And because I had worked so hard in my 20s and my 30s, this felt like, A nice break almost. I went Mm. out. I started having a social life. I (laughs) went to fun things. Wow! Um, It was also when I started collecting jewelry, I became friends with some of the biggest designers today and just kept thinking to myself, like, what's the next step? I want to do something that is meaningful, Mm -hmm. not just to the world, but really to me also. The hedge fund world at the time was kind of, you know, gyrating and neutral. It was Returns were okay. It was, you know, the, the active bull market that is probably ending right now. Yes. Um, as we speak, <laughs> was sort of on the way. You know, it, it was it was making hedge funds really, really struggle. And another job kind of like what I had at Harbinger, just didn't seem appealing to me. There weren't that many options. Everyone had people already staffed. So I started looking at fintech companies, and it's a very different world. We can get into that later. Oh, yeah. But I really started looking at figuring out a way to make diamonds an investable asset class. And I really care about this because gold had been a currency since 16th century Mm -hmm. Venice. And it just felt like it was an asset class that was there, but at the same time hadn't been explored at all. And so I looked at a bunch of different things and then COVID came into place and we all had a lot of time at home. And for me, it was mostly looking at at structures and at other alternative assets and at ways people were doing, were doing these alternative mm-hmm. assets. And, you know, I was never a big fan of crypto.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: just thought it was, it's not for me, just too much risk. There wasn't anything tangible behind it. I always sort of thought we would end up where we ended up, and I still don't think we're done yet. But I did come across Masterworks, and I discovered the JOBS Act and reggae. Mm. And I thought, well, if this can be done with art, it can be done with jewelry and gems. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know all about the JOBS Act, but President Obama passed it in 2012. It was basically, you know, from what I'm told from my lawyer friends, (laughs) a gift to the entrepreneurs of America to help them recover after 08. Yes, A bunch of entrepreneurs got a hold of it, all men. And The first one started employing it for real estate. It's basically you can IPO light assets under 75 million. That's the story. It was done with real estate. It was done with baseball cards. It was done with sports memorabilia and it was done with art. So I started really looking at the structures they used and I, I, you know, really started putting pen to paper and figuring out how I would get this done. And while COVID was going on, I was looking at. Shopify, and I noticed how many people were really going online mm. and doing, starting to do everything online. I mean, how much more dependent were we all on Amazon, right? And on Shopify and on Netflix. So I went to the luxury brands that I knew, a lot of the jewelry dealers, and I said, why don't we do this for gems and jewelry? But why don't we work together? As opposed to us just like randomly IPOing things that are coming in from you know, grandma's attic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and,
0: right. and
1: making a little bit of a mon- like a spread or a commission off of that. So I had been working on this with my friends, the Quiats, who own Fred Layton, and they own their own brand Quiat. They said, "Yeah, let's do it." And you know, you can basically IPO the best assets in our archives and in our safes, and we can help you kind of formulate everything. It wasn't that different than frankly structuring in the hedge fund world. I mean, yeah, there was a couple of structural, boring things I'm not gonna get into, but it wasn't like it was so nobody has ever said to me, Oh my god, that's so crazy. I can't believe you're doing that. Mm. Like everyone was like, How come no one else right. has done this yet? <laughs> um, and I legitimately think the answer to that is because the diamond and gem and precious and and you know, really precious metal community is such an insular, small group of people. For many, many years, De Beers controlled much of it. Right. Um, You know, with inflation. So when we launched Luxus, which was in 2003, I basically called up my friends in the hedge fund world and the private equity world and said, if I do this, will you guys help me with the pre-seed? Most of them said yes. And after a year or so of stalking, which I'm now very very good at. Uh, we <laughs> <laughs> we got the pre-seed together, we got we got our technology under control, we IPO'd for the very first time a pink diamond from the Argyle mine mm-hmm. in Australia. The Argyle mine in Australia closed right before COVID, and it produced 95% of the world's pink diamonds. So, here's the other thing too about diamonds. In 50 to 60 years, Mine activity is going to be finished. There's no more mines in like the world. So the largest market for diamonds will be the secondary market. Mm. So anything that comes from the ground, like a natural resource, is automatically like such a get. Right. And we were able to get our um, minimum viable product, which was the pink Argyle diamond through the SEC with no review. And we launched it at the end of June.
0: Four hundred thousand wow. dollars. Yeah. Wow. Crazy story. <laughs> and we have to remember that this is something that spans over. Right. Like a career, a lifetime. Like And, I, from, and I'm older. Yeah. And <laughs> <from> start, <no. laughs> That's why it's so long. No, from like start to finish. And um, but I mean, a lot of things. I feel like such a point in that entire story is your ability to like network. Your ability to create—you're like oh, I just called up my friend, like and yeah. that we're like that's the head of this like fashion brand or this jewelry brand, and that's that's pretty cool. Like, what would be maybe your advice for someone that's like and that is an entrepreneur or wanting to be one or like wanting to break into our space and wanting to collaborate, you know, fintech or something they think is interesting with another industry that they're wanting to disrupt? Like, how do you kind of how do you break into this like fashion so, world? I have a different philosophy on this. I always say Luxus at Luxus, we are a catalyst. We're not a
1: disruptor Mm. because sometimes it's better to just work with the existing framework in order to be able to get the best product out to people. So working with the luxury brands, I do have obviously a lot of institutional experience. I try to focus on people who have institutional experience. I think that... Any young people now, like any one more junior, would would really benefit from having worked at a J.P. Morgan for like even two years or three Mm -hmm. years, just so that they can understand what it's like because that discipline really does pay off.
0: Yeah, as someone who's worked at like traditional media companies and, and has been like a traditional reporter and I have, you know, all of my PTSD from that, but like what it's done is now that I'm someone that sits in a more entrepreneurial seat, I do have that discipline. Like I can turn out content like it's nobody's business because I've I've been <laughs> forced to have like these crazy deadlines and work in that more intense environment. But it's also awesome to see different ways of working like evolve. But anyways, I feel like the other part of your story that really stands out to me is, you know, kind of this like more feminine energy focused. Yeah. I mean, if you were starting out in hedge fund worlds, in, you know, 1998, like from 1998 after law school, you know, and that kind of thing. I can only imagine the things you've seen or have yeah. things that have been said to you or that kind of thing. Is there anything from that experience that fuels you to want to put something out there that maybe caters to a more feminine audience mm-hmm. like jewelry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just really hard for women. I really do. I You know, it almost feels like when I started out, it was actually not as bad I feel like things are almost actually getting worse,
0: um, <laughs> which is so. I weird. mean, this year it kind of did, yeah.
1: I think, <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, obviously, at the time there was no such thing as political correctness or cancel culture, so all sorts of shit was done and said mm-hmm. that I don't, you know, no one needs to revisit at this point. But um, I think that women are just not able to get there and I don't know what it is. In the hedge fund world, you know, somebody my old boss from Blackstone actually, he's a big fund of hedge fund hedge fund CIO elsewhere. And he tried to put together a hedge fund product that was just female managers and it raised no money. Um I think that people either just don't trust women to get the job done, especially in finance. Yeah. And they are constantly going to be relegated to positions of investor relations, mm-hmm. client service, cap intro, which is like, well, the hot girls mm-hmm. end up. you know, like, I don't know if you can use it, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> we it's, can, it's very, very, very segmented. And, yeah. you know, when I was at Blackstone, I had a team of all women, you know, we had one guy and then another guy who was of color and That was really, really important to me. And, you know, obviously everyone did really well. I always felt I was treated very well at Blackstone from an advancement perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's very important for me now to hire women. Because if I'm not going to give them the opportunity, like, I just don't know who will.
0: It's exactly right. And it's even seeing, like, what has this week I wrote about the Adam Newman being able to raise $350 $350 million. And I've had people, That's so scary. I know, and I've had people in my network, you know, do the math, like someone I know on Twitter did the did the math and, and saw that Andreessen Horowitz's uh average. Raised for for female founded companies is like six point eight million dollars. It's Yet, like it's Adam awful. Newman gets three hundred fifty million. And I looked at their fintech portfolio specifically and saw forty two companies. Four of them are women co founded. Like not even and no women CEO. I know, and they just it's put like, them there in order to tr- to get the minority allocation. Yeah. Well, and it's and I think that there's so many things to that. So like one. And Sally Krawcheck talks about this often. I was just going to mention her. Mm -hmm. She shares how like it's almost in her experience, you know, she has felt like when she's raising, not only is it harder because she's a woman, but then she's an older woman. So she has shared with me that that has made it hard. But also it's like when you raise money early from in like the early stage from female investors, which literally her investors are like. Venus Williams yeah. and, like, yeah. Linda Gates. Like, it couldn't doesn't get any better than that, right? But still, she's like, it almost makes it harder in the later stage because the guys think I'm not good enough to raise money early from other guys. Like, it's so, it's gut-wrenching. She's like, it hurt, like, it hurt. It them. was actually harder for us to raise money from women. Oh, um, Yeah. Yeah. Yo, I've heard this too. Okay,
1: yeah. explain. We, I don't know. I, I don't have the explanation. <laughs> it was really hard for us to I've raise heard money from too. women. We had one very prominent woman who likes to be private, but very, very prominent, invest in us from day one is our number one fan. Yeah. Love her. And then we had Veronica Beard mm-hmm. and Veronica Miele Beard. And I specifically wanted Veronica, both because I'm friends with the family and I know them well, but also because Veronica was the first employee at Two mm. at a time when, No women really were in senior positions anywhere. And then she became CO2's COO. So before she founded Veronica Beard, she was at CO2. She's incredibly smart. Mm -hmm. Helena, her daughter, is our intern this summer. And um, she's the face of the second IPO, which we'll talk about later. But it was so important to me. But raising money from women was next to impossible. I don't know why. I think it's because women are so often... Pinned against some kind of a wall and don't want to help other women because yep. they're worried it will take their place. Yep. And the other scarcity th- mindset. Scarcity. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. And also, the other thing too is that Luxus, and I'm sure all the competitors for Luxus too, like they either are going to get the fintech community is going to say, oh, you're not real fintech because you're not payments or processing or this okay. or that. But the consumer VCs and the consumer investors are like, we don't understand capital markets, and that's not our thing. Like this needs to be glossy, or like mm-hmm. whatever. And so I've run into that a little bit. But to be honest with you, we've had a really, we've had a really easy time with men, which was shocking. I feel like almost like in a weird way, it was because we're in a place. It's like, oh yeah, of course women. Should yeah.
0: Do that. No. Exactly. A little bit thinking. of finance.
1: I know. Which is kind of patronizing, to be honest. Yeah, but you know, get the the job done. And also, like, I am really, really enjoying it. Like, at the end of the day, I'm not, like super old but I'm also you know not you know young anymore (laughs) and to me this is fun I get so much joy out of jewelry and gems out of touching them out of seeing them
0: hell yeah at the end of the day like we have to be whatever is personal and authentic to us so like you love fashion you want to bring like pop culture and fashion elements into our alternative investing world like hell yeah like why should we only have like sports cars and baseball memorabilia like I don't care about that stuff I would love to like be able to actually have a financial services platform or an investing platform that like caters to things that i'm interested i want to be able to maybe one day invest in a in the j-lo dress like yes that brings me joy that brings me joy you know and like it's more to me it's more than just wealth building we're amongst an entire generation um my faves the gen zers who are completely into values they want like they want values they want community and unless you can bring that to the table then like they don't care if you're a big banker. They don't care who you are. Like they don't care if you're Bank of America. They want to work with a company whose personal message like resonates with them. And our mission really is to make this accessible. I mean,
1: there's so much competition right now. Like yeah. I see it with our like junior people, our associates, and our uh, you know interns. It's so hard to get into college. It's so hard to get a job after internships. The level of competition is so high. The world is like. Has been such a mess since 2016 oh, that gosh. it's so important to figure out ways to stand out. And yes. so I think what we're, that's what we're trying to do. And frankly, we're doing it with something that Black anyone from Blackrock to Harry Winston has been trying to do for decades, it's which cool. is turn diamonds into legit equities
0: investments. Mm-hmm. Yes, that I love that you're that you're doing this. I love that you're intentional about. You know, hey, well, this was my experience. It's been weird when it comes to raising and working with you know women or or male investors. But at the end of the day, like I'm going to do what I can in my seat to make sure that I'm intentionally hiring you know women or different kinds of people and that kind of thing. That the other
1: thing, the other thing on the raising, and I'm just going to say this
0: is that like I I found myself having to do the
1: whole damsel in distress thing in order to even get the pre seed off the ground, which was really irritating. But I had to do it. And it's like, you know, I get it. It's your passion. You want to make sure that you people fund it. You ha- you'll you do anything. Mm-hmm. But that that sort of really was a big thing, like a big issue for me. And it yeah. sucks. Could yeah. Nothing
0: more, could you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I think even just sharing, yeah. sharing that experience. Right. Like look at like going back to Sally and the Elvis. I mean, Sally is was literally is literally a top executive from Wall Street. And you're telling me she's had, having a hard time as well when it comes to raising, they just raised their series B. I feel like all of us and I feel like when
1: they raised it, it was like reported everywhere as 53.2 million, like as opposed to everyone else, which is just like a rounded out zero.
0: Right. Well, they got to be specific. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like the women got to like, <laughs> let's make sure we get that 3 million in. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, it's a thing. But like I said, and and even like when it, back to the, like the Adam Newman example, I, know. I you know, I was, Tweeting about it, and I did a whole newsletter about it. And someone commented, like, I, I guess so. I, I don't know her, but a woman founder, and she was like, This makes me want to like not try at all. And I'm like, No, like, no, try it. We need, like, I think it's, I like that you doubled down. Like, you were like, You know what? Whatever. This is the experience. But like, I think this is interesting. I like diamonds. I like fashion. I like this. I'm going to double down on what I know is right, male, female, whatever. And then when I get there, I'm going to bring up more women myself, because if that's what I can do, like, you know, it's like, what can I yeah. do? What can I control? And then being honest and open about the story. Like, this is great. I love it. Thank you for sharing this. I kind of want to shift over to a little bit more. I know we want to talk about, like, what is happening next for yeah. Luxus? All of those things, like, give us the breakdown. Are we going to, am I going to be able to invest in the j dress or what? Not anytime soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so pink the pink diamonds are on my wish list. Wish list. You know, we can dream. You have to speak it into yeah. existence.
1: So, so I really do, like I said before, I really, really, really think that hard luxury, which is gems, jewelry, watches are much more attractive investments because they do border luxury collectibles and commodities. And I lean into the collectible piece the least. Mm -hmm. The luxury and the commodity thing are incredibly important, especially this year. Um, Commodities have had an up year of what, since 1946? It's up 17% this year. Mm -hmm. Fancy Color Diamonds, which is the diamonds at Luxus, is focusing on first. We did a pink. We're about to do a yellow. Mm. And um, we are... You know, super, super excited about all the incredible stones that we have. Only three percent of diamonds worldwide are fancy color diamonds, so they wow. really are the rarest of the rare. It's cool. Um, my other big objective. So we did the pink loose diamond in June. Mm-hmm. It was almost one hundred percent men, male investors. And it, my other big thing is to get women investors on yep. the platform. Mm-hmm. I know that Sally talks about this too. It's really get difficult to get women to invest, especially women my age. Gen Xers and boomers like yeah your generation is like there already my generation is not mm-hmm. so we set this next yellow diamond in a ring we are giving it much more of a consumer appeal. And um we're gonna go out there with a really, really great campaign that we're excited to share. Ooh. Um I'm and excited. that, yeah, I mean you'll find out like I don't know when this airs, but by the time it airs, everyone will hopefully know about it.
0: Yeah, hopefully yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Hopefully we'll we'll see. But yes, that's um gosh, it's that's so cool. And I'm just so in awe of all of it and also just re- really really like thankful for the openness right to share that it is maybe more challenging i think yes the like the gen x crew it's it just as you get kind of up in the old i guess i don't love the word older but you know what yeah. I mean? the the chain there it's like it's just the more changing of old ways of thinking that you're right. dealing with right and it's like that it takes a lot of time or like self-reflection and learning to be able to undo all of that and there's a lot of reasons a lot of it stemming from systematic disparities that have led to to women not maybe being as comfortable right like they're risk averse or whatever and all that all that different stuff so oh they're scared yeah no it's it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's a fee it is it is it's it's fear it's all the things it's imposter syndrome it's like oh can i even do this or whatever it is so Kudos to you. You're out there saying, yes, we can. And yes. why the hell not? And why not do it for something fun like this? like Diamond. And beautiful. And, and like, beautiful and yeah. fun. One of my favorite questions to ask my guests is if we have to be the change that we want to see, which we've talked a bit about, then what change do you really want to see in the fintech space or the alternative investing space or just the space that you're in that you want to see and how will you embody it? I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but
1: hire women in leadership roles. They have mm-hmm. so much to offer.
0: Say it. Say it louder. Yeah. The, uh, for everyone I, in the back. I, hire for women. women
1: for leadership roles. We don't have to like we it shouldn't be that we have to create those roles ourselves just because they're not available. I've dedicated an entire yeah, platform to this message. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people did look at Luxus in the beginning, like my friends who are in quote-unquote like established places Uh as a vanity project of mine. And it's just, (laughs) it's like if women were put in leadership roles more often, I think we would see a very, very, very different market environment right now. Correct.
0: Uh, Yes. Yeah. Correct. That's just facts. Say it. Correct. So one of my my big things is, you know, when you have a lack of, Uh, representation you know let's go with female leadership at the top that does completely trickle down into what your end consumer feels and the product offerings it also so that's one avenue and then it trickles down into the you know future generation of women that think that this is a viable career option for them because if they don't see women like yourself or they don't see you know the stories that i tell then they're just going to be like oh this isn't an industry for me or that kind of thing you know so it's like it's very it's two-sided so yeah it, it, it takes like intention you have to like say it people are like oh well I give everyone like a fair chance because no like <laughs> no just it, you have to expand your your network and your pool of like potential candidates for everything and make sure that it's incredibly diverse there's no reason why it's harder now than it was in 2005 yeah. like that's yeah. a problem yeah yeah yeah, exactly. I mean, well, almost almost out of time. Is there like a key that you would maybe share my audience being other founders like yourself, other entrepreneurs, other you know CEOs and leaders in the space? What would you maybe say to them if they're struggling, quote unquote, or are wanting to hire more women, especially in leadership roles?
1: I think fintech as opposed to hedge funds is and meme and I were talking about this in the car it's more competitive. It's really, really competitive. Mm-hmm. With hedge funds, you know, everything is kind of objective because you have track records and you have performance and it's mm. public market dependent. In fintech world, it's private and it's culture oriented and it's just like all these like subjective mm. parameter. And so it, as a result, you become so much more competitive. You know, it's funny when we started launching, we literally started looking into partnerships a month ago. And I reached out, like, because in the hedge fund world, like, everyone works together. People do deals together. Mm -hmm. People do all sorts of stuff. Private equity. You always find the big six going in together. Venture also. Nobody wants to partner. Like, everyone, people don't want to be on the panel. If so-and-so is not on the panel, like, it's very, very competitive. Yeah. I'm certainly not like that. I don't know if it's a fintech thing or milk. <laughs> but it's new to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, I I hear you. The the yeah, no. The inter- it's like the industry can be it can feel it's so oversaturated, right? And then it can feel incredibly c- competitive. And then now everyone's like trying to. I think that you know you're just to keep doing what you know you're doing. And any other founders out there listening to like, I like your strategy. You like doubled down. You stayed true to what you believed in. You were like this is what I'm going to do and that's what I'm like. And this is what I'm going to do. These are my intentions and that's what it takes like to be, and then to be honest. So like that's really, it's, it's what we can do. It's and then spreading, spreading the message. So I appreciate all of your honesty, all of your openness. Is there anything that you would like to share about Luxus that we can expect next Outside of this like amazing campaign, or like your your dreams and your hopes and your futures for for, for Luxus? So we're in testing year this year. So get on the
1: website, sign up, follow us on social, um, Luxus Assets. It's literally takes up so much of our time. <laughs> 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 Mimi also knows. Um, and uh we're going live next year in 2023. And hey. you know, at that point, we'll introduce a whole bunch of new
0: verticals also. Hey, hey, that's exciting. That's yeah, exciting. Okay, and then Final question after the plug would be, was there ever a moment where you felt like you wouldn't succeed? Was there ever a moment that you felt like and then and then how did you maybe overcome it? And if you never felt that. Feel free to share about that, too. Oh,
1: my God. I, I, I feel that way at least once, twice a week.
0: <laughs> um, Same. Yeah. Same. She's called imposter syndrome. She yeah. shows up regularly. You know, you just have to
1: keep saying to yourself this, too. She'll pass. And, you know, you're surrounded by great people. We do. We have amazing, amazing people. We have great, we're working with the luxury brands, Kwiats especially, like they've been an unbelievable partner. There's a lot of amazing businesses that are supporting all of these fractional ownership platforms. I have a great team. Love everyone. So just surround yourself with positive people Mm. and people who are willing to roll up their sleeves like you are. Like this thing for me is my thing. Like I love this. Mm -hmm. I am so enjoying it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to bring long-term and and build long-term value for investors. And I'm so lucky to have the people that we have, our investors, our partners, our vendors, everyone.
0: Mm -hmm. It's all about the people. That is exactly right. Um, it's about the people. And I think when we think back at, you know, the competitive landscape of fintech, it is about that too. Not only the people that you surround yourself in with your company, but also the the community that you surround yourself with, with the company that you're building. Right. And that's kind of the beauty of content. And that's kind of the beauty of niche markets, which you know so much about. And yeah, we love to see it. So thank you so much for joining me. me. This has been so much fun. It's been so much fun. And I appreciate you being so authentic and honest and sharing all these experiences. So I think the audience will love it. Yay, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.